Thank you, choir, for reminding us of the hope of heaven and the, the fact that God has the final victory and, and we will enjoy that victory forever in his kingdom. Uh, this morning, if you want to go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to continue in uh, a little mini-series that I started last week looking at uh, the five or actually three of the core principles of the Protestant Reformation. If you remember from last week, I said that uh, you know we know October 31st as, as Halloween and we celebrate, some of us celebrate Halloween and, and get all dressed up and all that, but there's a, a more, much more significant event that happened on October 31st, much more significant in that it had more of an impact on our lives, even just as Americans, but most importantly for us in this church as Baptists, had much more of a significant impact on us than any Halloween we've ever celebrated. And that is that on October the 31st, 1517, a a, a Roman Catholic monk named Martin Luther nailed 95 questions or objections to the Roman Catholic Church. And that began what we know as the Protestant Reformation. And so as we build up to October 31st, I wanted to look at the three core principles of the Protestant Reformation. If you remember last time we said that uh, there were five principles that came out of the Reformation, that salvation is, by, uh, is through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and to the glory of God alone. And so as we um, look at those three core principles of the Reformation, we're going to look at, as we did last week, the fact that salvation is through faith alone. That it is not according to any merit we bring to God. It is not by any work that we do. It is simply by trusting in the work that Christ has already done for us that we have salvation and are, as the Bible says, are justified before God. But it's important also that we understand that salvation is by grace alone. Because we could make the mistake of thinking that our faith is kind of like this work that we do, that we can, that, that our faith is our own doing. And so we believe that, yes, we're justified by faith, but that faith is something that we gin up inside ourselves and it's something that we bring to God as an acceptable sacrifice and therefore we deserve heaven. We could, we could think that somehow we earn our salvation by believing as though that was some sort of work that we did in the place of all those other works that the Old Testament requires of, of us. Or we could think that we're the smart ones. That we figured it out when nobody else did. You know, those dumb sinners out there that don't know about Jesus or or know about Jesus but reject Him. It's because they're not smart enough. They didn't figure it out and we did. We had faith when no one else did. We could also make the mistake of thinking that God starts the work of salvation, but it's up to us to finish it. That God gives us an initial boost of salvation, or as the Roman Catholics believed it, that God infuses us with grace and faith, but then it's on us to finish it, to use that faith and to use that grace to bring about uh, good works that, that build up and, and store up 
treasures and salvation, ultimate salvation for us. God starts it, but we really finish it. But the reformers said, no, it is not that God starts salvation and we finish it. And it's not that we're saved by grace, but we get there by works. But that salvation is by God's grace alone. Salvation is totally from start to finish a work of God. And so to see that, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, as we come to understand that salvation is by God's grace alone. So follow along with me as I read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. God's word says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages... Uh, In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we consider your word today, we know that your word is truth, that your word says about us what we really are, that we might build ourselves up as as essentially good and essentially right. We find in our in your word that we are revealed to be sinful and deserving of judgment, though your word might say that you're just there to to um, keep the world in order and to bring about what we really want out of life. Yet we find that you are from your word. You are the, the judge of this world, but also the gracious and good father who loves us and extends grace to us. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us understanding from your word today, that you would give me the words to say that I might encourage and build up in Christ's name. I pray. Amen. So this morning, I want you to understand from this passage that in our salvation, we do nothing and God does everything. We do nothing and God has done everything. So to see those two points today, I want you to first consider the fact that we in our salvation have done nothing. If you'll notice in verses one through three, Paul begins this section, this beautiful section of Ephesians by establishing what we have done in our salvation. And, and unless we, lest we think that we somehow have earned our salvation, Paul humbles us by telling us just what we have done. And there are four things that Paul says we have done for or in our salvation. Number one, notice he says in verse one, 
we were dead in our trespasses and sin. So the first thing that we have done in our salvation or for our salvation is we have done nothing because we were dead men and women. We have done nothing because we were dead. What can a dead man do? Now just imagine me as a, a, a preacher were to go out to these, these tombstones out here and I were, to te- I were to believe that I had the solution to uh, life after death. And I were to go to those tombstones, to the people in those graves, and I were to preach to them, all you have to do is live again. All you have to do is repent and turn from your sins. All you have to do is choose to follow Christ and, and you'll be saved. Would it do anything? It wouldn't do anything. Why? Because they're dead. They can't live because they're dead. They need something outside of them to come into their lives and make them alive again. And the same thing is true of everyone who is outside of Jesus Christ. If they are outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then they are dead men walking. Remember Genesis chapter 2 and 3 and the curse that God placed on those who would eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember what he tells them. Do not eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil because on the day you do, you will what? You will surely die. Did they die? Did Adam and Eve fall over dead when they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? No, they didn't. But they did die in one important way. They died spiritually. On the day that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they died a spiritual death that later was confirmed in a physical death. And we are dead to the things of God because of our sin and can do nothing to earn God's favor. I mean, Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says, But we all are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The second thing that Paul says that we have done for our salvation is that we were dominated by Satan. Notice Paul says in the same three verses, he says that we were uh, following after the prince of the power of the air. Now that is Satan. That's a long title for Satan. Not only were we dead in our sins, but we were willingly following after the powers of this world. We were, we were choosing to do something, but the choice that we were making was to follow after Satan. John chapter 8 verse 44 says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Third, the third thing that we do for our salvation is we desired sinful lust. Notice in verse 3, Paul says that we followed after our own sinful passions and did whatever our bodies told us to do. Is this not our culture today? If it feels good, then it must be right. 
If, uh, if it's something that I want to do, if it's a craving that I have, then you can't tell me that I'm wrong. How dare you judge me, preacher? How dare you say that the lifestyle I'm living is wrong? If it's something that my desires, uh, that is a part of my de- desire or my appetite, then it must be right. If it feels good, it's right. Why should I obey God when I just want to enjoy life? And then the last thing that we have done for our salvation is we have deserved God's wrath. Notice Paul's summation of this whole condemnation of man. Notice he says in verse three, and we were and were by our nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were by our very nature children of wrath. We were under the curse of sin and we were doomed for hell. John chapter 3, verse 18. Now we know John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that is the hope and the grace of the gospel. But one thing that we miss is Jesus goes on. And in verse 18, He says that those who did not believe or do not believe are condemned already. And they're condemned already because they are under the judgment of sin because of who they are in Adam and because of their own sin and their own willful disobedience against God. We are under the curse and the judgment that is coming on the whole world if we have not trusted in Jesus Christ and received the grace that God has given through Him. So, that is what we have done for our salvation. But what has God done for our salvation? God has done everything for our salvation. Notice, beginning in verse 4, there is this beautiful phrase, the most beautiful phrase in all of Scripture. You find it in some important turns in the story of Scripture. And here is another perfect example. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are willfully following after the power of this world. We are by our very nature children of wrath. And then verse 4 comes and praise God. What does it say? But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Christ. We were sinking further and further into the judgment and under the condemnation of God. And Paul says, but God, for each one of us in this room who are saved, it is because at some point God intervened in our lives. He sent a friend at the very right time to teach us about Christ. He sat us week in and week out under a dear lady or a dear man who taught us in Sunday school. And that teaching led us to Christ. He sat us under the preaching of the gospel week in and week out. And that preaching led us to Christ. He gave us a dear father or a mother who discipled us and taught us who Jesus was. And through that, he led us to Christ. But it is because of God's work, God's intervention in our lives that we are saved. 
but for God, we would still be under His wrath. But God is rich in mercy and gives us grace that we do not deserve. And there are two characteristics of the grace that God has given us that I want you to notice from verses 4 and 5. First of all, notice verse 4 says that God is rich in mercy. Now for me, personally, God would have to be rich in mercy if His mercy was going to cover my sins. And that's exactly the point. For as far as the depth of my sin goes, God's mercy goes even further. God is rich in mercy to us through His grace. And the second thing about God's grace we find in verses 4 and 5 is that God loves us unconditionally. Notice it says that God showed us grace because of His great love for us. And He didn't show us this grace, that grace to us because we were great people. But notice He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, even when we were the nasty, mud-covered sinners that we were, God showed His love for us. God loves us unconditionally. Brothers and sisters, understand that there is nothing in your life that could make God love you more than He loves you now. And there is nothing in your life that could take away from that love or make Him love you any less. God loves you not because of who you are, but because of who He is. And the grace of God extends to you in spite of your trespasses and sins. Not because of or as a result of who you are. So since God is rich in mercy and abounding in love, this is what He has done for us. I want you to notice there are four things that God has done for us in His grace, and these things correspond to our condition that we were in when we were sinners. So notice that God answers in every way the four things that we have done against our salvation. He then does something for our salvation. First of all, He resurrected us through Jesus Christ. Notice in verse uh, verse 5, it says that He raised us up, resurrected us in Jesus Christ. What, uh, What was our first condition as sinners? We were dead. We were outside of God's grace. We were outside of His life-giving power. We were spiritually dead. So what does God do to address our sin and our deadness? He makes us alive. He resurrects us by the power of His Spirit and His gospel. God totally reverses the problem of our spiritual deadness. He takes that which is dead and He makes it alive. Second, the second thing God has done for us is He has raised us up. Notice in verse 6, it says He has raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places. In other words, and the whole idea of raising us up is to say, take someone who is lowly, let's say a slave, and to give them a position of authority, to give them a position within the family. And notice he says that we have been raised up with Christ. We've been seated in the same place 
As a brother of Christ, we have been seated in the same place that Christ has been seated. He has changed our position. We were, by our nature, children of wrath. We were under the influence of Satan. We were slaves to Satan. But now, God has taken us and made us children of God. Thirdly, He has redeemed us through faith. Notice in verse 8, and let's read that again just to get it back in our heads. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. So this is the conclusion of Paul's point about God's grace. That our salvation in every way is a work of God and a work of His grace. We were chasing after the lust of our own flesh, chasing after whatever our bodies desired, and God has changed us, and now we are chasing after Him through faith. Even the faith that we have to trust in Christ is a gift of God. Did you notice that in verse 8? It says, For we are saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. God, in His grace, and at the right time, at some point in each one of our lives, brought us to Himself through the work of His Spirit so that we would trust in Him and follow after Him. You know it. You, you experienced it either at a revival or it, it, sitting in those pews listening to preaching or whatever it was. At some point, you couldn't hold on to the pew tight enough. And you had to come forward. And it is because of the work of God's Spirit in your life that changed you and brought you to Himself through Faith. And then lastly, he restores our purpose. Notice in verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before we came to Christ, we were serving our lustful desires and serving Satan. But now God has given us a new purpose. God has already created gifts and responsibilities for you, good works that you are called to do. And He has given you all of the grace and the faith and the authority to do those good works. And I, and I will point out, and it's important to note, that the good works come after God's grace, not before. They are a result of God's good grace, not a precondition for it. You can never be good enough or worthy enough to earn God's grace. Grace, in and of itself, the word simply means unmerited favor. You can't make, you can't deserve grace or it wouldn't be grace. It would be employment. <laughs> it would be a paycheck. But as grace... It is something that you do not deserve. But as a child who has been given the love of a, a, a good and kind father desires to, to please his, his or her father because they love him, so too we are called to do good works, not to earn the favor and love of our father, but out of gratitude for what he has done. 
because He has already given us the good works that we might live in them. So friend, don't trust in your works to get you to heaven. You may think that you're piling up worth. You know, you're taking that shovel and you're piling up as much work as you can and saying, planning on bringing a little bit of, uh, of gold or silver and saying, look, God, I deserve to get into your heaven because of all this work that I've done. But what you don't realize is what you really have been digging is your own grave. You have simply been digging a hole from which you cannot escape because there is no amount of worth No amount of good deeds, no amount of good work that can overshadow or cover up the sin and the unworthiness of your life. It is only by the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ that you can be forgiven. So won't you come to faith in Christ today and turn to Him for your salvation? Brothers and sisters, we walk in the grace of Christ. We cannot add to our salvation by works And praise God, we cannot take away from it by our sins. I hope that you will this day rest in the grace of Christ, not because, uh, not not hoping in any work that you can do for Him to, to cover up your sins, but trusting that you are forgiven if you have trusted in Jesus Christ because God's grace abounds to us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the good grace that you have shown us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that we are unworthy because we have sinned and we have uh, lived under the oppression of Satan. We have lived in the life of, uh, in the descendancy of Adam, and we deserve the judgment that is coming on all of humanity. But it is because of your grace through your Son and in the work of your Spirit that we have salvation. Father, may we rest in that, not in our worthiness brought about by our good works, not in our, uh, our years of service to you, but may we always, regardless of how long we have served you, rest in the grace that you have given us. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who has never trusted in you as their Lord and Savior, that they would give up the hope of earning that salvation somehow and instead turn in faith to your son, Jesus, and trust in him today. Pray all these things in Christ's name.